Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License Flight Number 38 with service to Pasadena, California. We ask that you fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and remember, if you hear some bare naked ladies singing, please notify your flight attendant as we have a very strict no nudist policy while in flight. Welcome to the TV Pilot's License. My name is Jeff Kerbis, joined by Rich Inman and Max Singer. How are you boys doing today? We also have a very strict no Canadians policy, so you know what you did, Canada. Oh, no. <laughs> I have no idea why I'm on today's flight. I live 20 minutes from Pasadena. I should have just driven myself. Oh, oh yeah, you took the Taylor Swift private jet flight, huh? <laughs> the 14-minute the refuel? Yeah, I'm in, my, I'm in my podcast era. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, are we all? Gentlemen, this week we are... Doing a show that I feel like we inevitably had to do, and that is The Big Bang Theory. Uh, But before we dive into that a little bit too deep, Max, do you mind telling folks what this podcast is all about? So here at TV Pilots License, we break down and analyze the pilot episodes of some of TV's most famous, or in some cases, infamous shows. We learn about how these shows came to be, determine if they're effective pilots of making us want to watch more, and if we think they can be made today. Go subscribe, listen to our episodes so wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on uh, any platform of your choosing. Also, go watch us on YouTube and see our smiling faces. Uh, if it is your first time flying with us, then welcome aboard. And Rich, what is your game of the week? Or excuse me, what is your question of the week? Uh, great. Uh, excellent lead in. And thank you all for joining us while we watch uh, Cosmos by Carl Sagan. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a lot more jokes than I remember, but I am so curious right now because this whole show takes place before, well, almost leading up to uh, another famous weirdo uh, losing his entire mind and blowing up his uh, his credibility, Mr. Elon Musk. And I'm so curious which, what character from just the pilot so far what character you think Elon Musk would hire at SpaceX? <sighs> Just from personality. Wow. What a... All right. I, I might get in trouble with my answers, but here we go. Um, so I don't think it is uh, Leonard or Sheldon, uh, in all honesty, because I think that Sheldon would provide too much of a threat to Elon mm. um, because let, let's be honest, the man who is built like some odd shape, I don't know what it is yet. I'm still coming up with the figures for that uh, would be intimidated by uh, Sheldon Cooper. And then Leonard is just Leonard. Um, so I think it would probably be between Howard and Raj, right? Howard's a suck up. And Raj is secretly sexist. Uh, so I think that they would mesh together really well in some shape or form. That's um, true. They make yeah. two halves of a whole SpaceX employee. Exactly. So I think that they would do great. Uh, Max, what about you? Pilot alone, I've got to go with Howard Wallowitz. Just because he's he's got sort of that uh, kind of skeevy Lothario thing going on in the pilot. Seems like a dude who would say me thinks a lot and would definitely subscribe to Twitter <laughs> Blue. <laughs> Pilot Howard Wallowitz definitely peddled some form of cryptocurrency in the time since the show's gone off the air. Maybe he has a character arc. I don't know. We watched the pilot. But yeah, based on one episode alone, absolutely Howard. 
Yeah, I have to go with Howard as well, uh, simply because of how uncomfortable he made Penny feel immediately in this episode. Um, uh, uh, any other reason, like, probably competent in the whole, like, science aspect of it. We don't really get into that in this pilot, but 100% just from, like, spooky Lothario, uh, like, feeling that Howard has, I'm, I'm going with Howard, too. Well, I, I think we're agreed that Howard... <laughs> Uh, Welcome we'll, to SpaceX. We'll see it SpaceX or uh, Tesla or, you know, probably running Twitter for all we fucking know. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Rich, thank you for that interesting question of the week. Uh, it's a, it's let's, a thought starter. Let's talk a little bit uh, as before we dive into Big Bang Theory or the Big Bang Theory. I want to treat this like the Ohio State. Um, let's do a quick synopsis. A woman who moves into an apartment across the hall from two brilliant but socially awkward physicists shows them how little they know about life outside the laboratory. That has nothing to do with what we just watched. Nope. Uh, so, Max, tell me what happened. Today we are talking about the Big Bang Theory pilot, which aired on CBS on September 24th, 2007. And for a little bit of background, we're talking about two writers, Chuck Laurie and Bill Prady. So we're going to start with Laurie first. Laurie drops out of college to pursue a career actually as a songwriter, and he penned the song French Kissin, which became a top 10 hit for Debbie Harry on her second solo album in the 80s. He writes for animated what? series like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Heathcliff before pivoting to sitcoms and gets staffed on the hit Roseanne. However, Chuck Laurie does get fired from Roseanne for creative differences, but it leads to a lot of solo work for him in the 90s. His first solo effort, Franny's Turn, is a flop, but he goes on to have some success with shows like Grace Under Fire and Sybil, although maybe Alan Ball being one of the staff writers of both of those had a little bit more to do with it. Bill Pretty, on their hand, worked his way up from being a production assistant at Jim Henson Productions to being a writer on animated versions of Fraggle Rock and the Jim Henson Hour. More important to my interests... He's actually the person who penned the script for the Disney theme park show, Muppet Vision 3D. Oh, oh hell, hell yeah. yeah. Let's hell go. Hell yeah. Uh, he was also Emmy nominated for writing Ooh. the posthumous tribute to Jim Henson, the Muppets celebrate Jim Henson following Henson's passing. So post-Muppets, he shifts he into live-action sitcom work, working as a writer and producer on NBC's Carolina of the City. And that takes us to their first partnership, where Prady was a writer-producer on Laurie's show, uh, Dharma and Greg, over at ABC. Great show. Following success of Dharma and Greg, Laurie gets a long-term deal with Warner Brothers, where he goes absolutely supernova in the showrunner world, creating the most popular sitcom in America, Two and a Half Men. Woo! Following <sighs> this deal, he gets for Two and a Half Men. He reteams with Party to create a new sitcom, which becomes The Big Bang Theory. The pilot that we're watching today and talking about is not the original pilot. Mm -hmm. This show was actually part of CBS's 2006 pilot slate, but did not get picked up. The only remaining characters from that first unaired version are Leonard, Sheldon, and the receptionist of that first scene. <laughs> so that... Just a spoiler, she's not a recurring character. Just figured I'd uh, put that in there. <laughs> yeah, that, that cold open <clears throat> stayed the same. And funny enough, uh, that cold open also was cut from all syndication and reruns of this episode. So I wonder why. I, I don't know why this scene is even in here. Anywho, the original pilot involved a third roommate, a scientist by the name of Gilda, 
and a new roommate who they take in, a woman named Katie, who is described as a street-hearted, tough-as-nails woman. Uh, test audiences responded very poorly to this entire pilot. <laughs> However, given the success of Two and a Half Men, CBS gives Party and Laurie a chance to rewrite it and reshoot it for the following season. The second pilot being picked up to series order. Both pilots, the failed one and today's, were directed by none other than JF and B, Jimmy fucking yeah, Burroughs himself. Damn right. There we go. You, you goddamn right. <laughs> you, you can punch off two on your card for this one. <laughs> and something that I actually found really interesting was an approach that CBS took for promoting this show, which is that even prior to it airing on CBS, they released the pilot for free on iTunes to download. So this is a show that really worked on like youth outreach and reaching a new audience. It reminds me kind of how like in the early 10s, HBO would put a lot of like first episodes of a season out on YouTube for free. And it's like, hey, if you like the first episode of this season, like this pilot, subscribe and check out more. CBS tried a similar thing with Apple. And obviously the results speak for themselves. Well, that's definitely... A uh, history that's, that's of something. how this I, got made. I mean, look, for all of the feelings that we have about Chuck Lorre properties, good God, does he, is that man prolific or prolific and I mean, just insanely popular. I don't know who, like, studio execs probably love him. Uh, I mean, obviously, with the success of Two and a Half Men, you carry a lot of cachet into your next thing. And the fact that this is like, his next bop and becoming the most successful multicam of all time. Pretty impressive. Every single Emmys year, the Kaminsky method is nominated for like 17 Emmys. And I go, Oh, right. That's a show. That, that's, that's a yeah, show on TV. And that's what I was about to say is I actually like, I've watched a few episodes of the Kaminsky method and I actually enjoy that show. I think there's some really good performances on that. Is that Michael Douglas? And, yeah. Um, and I just, I watch this and I'm like, you know, people are multifaceted and can do many things and create many, just like Taylor Swift, everyone can have a different era. <laughs> I mean, look, there, there is something to be said about, you can have someone make the most beautiful A5 Wagyu cheeseburger with the rarest cheddar and incredibly well-cooked onions and all that good stuff. But there is something to be said about the Whopper and this show and the band Two and a Half Men <laughs> are the Whopper. It is mass produced at not every episode, like I every every showrunner I've ever heard from like the golden age of TV, like the 80s and 90s, where everyone was making an ass load of money on residuals and stuff like that. They're like, all right, the show is 22 to 24 episodes long. Between the first four and the last four episodes where there's a lot of, like, lead up and conclusion, you have a lot of shows to try to produce. And a lot of shows will just come out of nowhere. They'll come up in the room. They'll they'll come up a week before filming. Things like that. It is a difficult job. And, yeah, you're going to have some... You're going to have some low-grade ground chuck in the middle of that cheeseburger. Yeah, and I I will take a step back when we go into this and be very honest. And I think that you have to appreciate what Chuck Lorre has done, right? There are a lot of TV shows that don't last more than a single season. There are a lot of TV shows that don't even last 
a season, yeah. right? We and, all love Mulaney. Look what happened there. Oh, yeah. We absolutely loved Mulaney. But Chuck Lorre, if you look at his record, has had a lot of shows that, like, Max, you just went through them, that lasted many seasons, right? Yeah. And that's something to be applauded, but also very similar to, Rich, you just mentioned, uh, The Whopper. There are a lot of people who fucking hate whoppers. Uh, so yeah, you're not you're not building a racetrack. You are building an interstate highway with a show. The, like, oh this, this is a this is a long this is a long uh, process that you have to set up a universe for. And I can't wait to get into this because this is one of the this is one of like the least exposition pilots I've ever watched. Like they almost set up nothing in this. And yeah, I can't wait to. I mean, Max, it sounds it looks like from your own research that there's a kind of a reason why. And obviously, this it sounds like this show has been focus grouped to death. And I, you know, I'm just curious, like if, if I'm curious from your own take, like why you think they did almost nothing with this. Well, Rich, you talked about creating a universe, and you know what event created the universe? God damn it! God, <laughs> yes, it, yeah, it was it was God grabbing his Roku remote. Lead and us in, said, Jeff. <laughs> well, we open the whole universe. <laughs> we open with normally we've done a lot of sitcom pilots, um, and usually the first joke is a really just. It grabs you. You sort of appreciate it. Like, I look at news radio with, like, the joke that they did at the front desk. Great yes. opening joke. Also, working with uh, someone who's working behind a desk. And we've seen those jokes be successful. Um, this was a t-shirt idea. And I'm going to just... I have an issue when a laugh track is used. Um, to the point where I just think to myself, if this laugh track did not happen, would this turn into a bit of an awkward comedy or potentially into a drama? Um, and in this instance, I think this would have been a drama because we listened to a man spout this great idea for a t-shirt to which there is silence from his presumed partner slash roommate. Yeah. Uh, and that is how we open this prolific uh, TV show. I can't believe I'm doing this, but Jeff, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you. I actually think that this scene, as far as the first scene of the pilot goes, sets up the pacing of the dialogue that we're going to mm -hmm. see throughout the episode so well. I think it keys you into that it's going to be a very rhythmic dialogue that you do have to pay attention to. A lot of words are going to be spouted at you. And I think it sets up the joke structure, which feels very old-timey sitcom-y in that it's going to be very, very, very long-winded diatribe that then has a very quick button yeah. on the end of it. So well, maybe it's not our favorite joke, but I do think that it's important to start the pilot this way to show you this is how the show is going to sound. And for the audience who did not watch this pilot, one, I do not blame you for taking the 22 minutes out of the day. I don't day, know, but, man. We should be but, encouraging to, hey, get get in there. Go watch go watch all five episodes of the Gem and the Hologram pilot movie. <laughs> but when it comes to this, like, the joke structure, in case you don't watch it, is Jim Parson goes on for, Parsons goes on for 30 to 40 seconds just talking, and then, um his counterpart Galecki just says, mm-hmm. 
basically at the end of every joke. And that is our joke structure. Um, does it lead to some interesting jokes at this uh, high IQ sperm bake? I absolutely see why they kept the receptionist in this yeah. role. Because she is the only one who gives me any form of a giggle, a smile, anything of that sort. Because she plays the regular human being amongst two dorks um, that are just almost uh, like I even want to punch the dorks through the TV <laughs> screen. And I know they're not real. And, uh, and Jeff, Kermis I was never a bully. I can't believe you're making me go to the mat for this. But again, I think that the way that Johnny Galecki <laughs> responds to Jim Parsons with the simple ahas and nods and affirmations that break up the rant show the relationship. It, it, it clues you in. This is a conversation they've had a thousand times where Jim Parsons is rambling about some quantum physics experiment and at the end of it it's just that he thinks it would look really cool in a t-shirt you know it's a conversation they've had 10,000 times before I cannot wait to just force you into the corner of defending Big Bang Theory for the entirety <laughs> of this episode I'm gonna yeah, keep, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing it I'm gonna keep doing it <laughs> we're going into the 13th round Max isn't seeing straight uh, but there was actually one joke that I really liked in this scene um, because I think that whether you are socially awkward or, you know, just an adult that has lived a good life, everyone does not know how to leave a situation they feel uncomfortable in. And I really did enjoy this joke of the, like, I called it the Irish goodbye, right? Of like trying to leave without saying anything. And then once again, we have the star of our scene, the receptionist, uh, being able to say goodbye the button of this joke and then we transition into this next scene i do like that they reveal very quickly that they are at a sperm bank selling sperm because they want to get a nicer internet router for their apartment um yeah i, I think that's a, a fun <clears throat> setup that i also do uh I have to pick a boat though with Jim Parsons. See, I'm I'm not. I, I play both sides. I play nope, both sides. Nope. What what he says I'm, that I'm gonna make you love He him. has a sister with the same basic DNA mix who is a hostess at Fuddruckers. What do you have against Fuddruckers? You get yeah, there's a pickle bar. You get free French. You get like free refills of French fries. Why are you insulting Fuddruckers, Jim? You Parsons? also it's the only restaurant I've ever seen with a pump for nacho cheese, which is like what an insane thing to have as just a a free condiment for everyone. Right. Yeah, those are the physics that Rich loves. The so nacho cheese being pumped. Yeah, they, also, it's anti it's anti neutronian Fuddruckers <laughs> is the only mass produced chain that also has an ostrich burger. So, like, the more you know. So, right. yeah, Fuddruckers is for the elite. Famously, Fuddruckers sponsored TVPL. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll hit them up. Uh, okay, so this does, and this is proving Rich's theory of of multi cam sitcoms. Uh, this does also address sex in the first five minutes of the of the show, which happens in Cheers, happens in Love Boat, happens in uh, Night Court. It is it, it is uh, like very lightly addressing a adult topic just so people understand. Oh, this is for not children, and it's kind of like it. It, it is like the. I don't know. It's like the Costco club card of writing uh, of writing a sitcom. Like that's for the mainstream audience, where it's just like, yeah, you know, we're gonna goof around, but we're still adults, right? Everybody, every all adults masturbate. We're gonna just acknowledge that up top. 
and well, it's very I, I don't know is it, it is proving my theory again and again and again so let's talk about the next cold open scene where we go up the stairs and we're going to meet our third major character but not before we have our first wait a minute moment of this pilot in which we i i forgot about this because i've seen this pilot before where they're just like oh yeah it's better than the trans neighbor that we had before in which like there is genuine disgust amongst both of the gentlemen in this pilot uh both of the gentlemen we've met and yeah. I'm just sort of like, yeah, this wasn't a good joke. Then this still is not a good joke. Now this is never a good joke. Yeah. Like Tra transvestite is different from transgender, but uh, I'll, I'll make that uh, distinction pretty clear. But uh, yeah, that was definitely, I mean, we could have saved this for the wait a minute moment, but it's too big not to address that. They yeah. not only reference it one time, uh, but it, multiple it, times. Yeah. Yeah. And like a deeply like i don't know it's just it's not i wouldn't say their reaction is like disgust it's more contempt i guess or just like because they do address that person as both of their persona names of like their their cross-dressing persona and their and their uh you know i don't know cisgendered persona i guess uh or cisgender performing persona who knows um but yeah it is uh a deeply weird thing to throw out there, especially right now with, with 2023 goggles on, but I don't know. This is like, what what year did this come out? Oh, seven. Still weird. No seven. Uh, yeah. I know this is pre Obama and everything like that. We were, we were, we had some weird shit happening on TV, extremely homophobic. And, but, and you know, this is uh, like the, the media culture landscape had a big shift, like pretty much after this, and we we're feeling pretty nihilistic from the Bush years, but man, this is like a, quite a choice. Yeah, Rich, this was uh, two BBO two years before Barack Obama. Uh, <laughs> just for <laughs> it, it is a very weird cold open joke on top of everything too. We haven't even gotten our theme song yet. This is one of the first things you throw out. This coupled with one of the first lines they say to Penny, who we'll get to in a second, is that we live together in separate heterosexual bedrooms. It's just a very weird, uh, yeah. know, it's a weird time capsule of 2007 humor here and in I'm, these first two scenes. I'm positive Two and a Half Men is not better than this. Like, I oh, mean, 100% no. It's Charlie Sheen. Absolutely not. But yeah, uh, the, it's definitely like a combination of, also, this goes into my, how do they cover so little in a pilot? How do they like set up a universe so, so poorly in this pilot? The cold open is over six minutes long. We wait, which is insane. We wait six minutes for the theme song, which I truly cannot believe is a ratio that existed on a network TV show. Well, we don't only in this case have Leonard and Sheldon. We also meet their new neighbor, Penny. Uh, Penny pay, played very famously by Kaylee Cuoco, um, and. We get this, you know, at, as the synopsis said, we have this pretty girl who helps bring these two dorks into reality and yeah. living outside of their apartment. And we start sort of seeing this theme of like the joke of threes, right? Where they're just like, hi, hi, hi. Like, good, good, good. Like all this repetitive this. And while these jokes are like technically jokes, Right. There is one. <laughs> <laughs> T 
Te- technically, joke should have been the tagline for the show. There is one. There's like you could tell that there were jokes that writers were super excited about that started to creep their way through. Right, like, hey, we were going to watch the Battlestar Galactica DVDs uh, for season five. We already watched this. We didn't watch them with commentary. Great joke. I have 212 friends on MySpace. You don't know any of those people. I want to keep it that way. Also, fantastic fucking joke. But, like, these are jokes that would have been really great a little bit earlier to sort of set that tone that I just feel like, Rich, as you said, this was probably five minutes into the six-minute cold open, and we're just now hitting on some, like, actual good jokes. Like, you know, even... You know, the a blind uh, dog's going to find a bone in this instance. We do get my only, like, maybe giggle out loud joke here. Like, okay, so I have garnered a little bit of understanding of the Big Bang Theory universe uh, because of my parents watching this in syndication. So completely out of order. And no Hi, idea. And dad. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> uh, uh, front reluctant friends of the pot after I hear after they hear us tearing down their favorite show. <laughs> Actually, no, their favorite show is New Girl and they get stoned. As, they oh, get stony, that's, a, that's a great, great choice. Much get, better choice. They get stony baloney and watch all the uh, the the five episodes that come up on Xfinity on demand, despite them having Netflix. <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> Um, so we get two jokes right off the bat that stay in the show for the entire run. Number one, the elevator is always out, which is, you can see that with the, the caution tape over it. Number two, right after the, the big bang theory song, I think it's called the big bang theory by bare naked ladies. Who knows? Um, you also get Sheldon's seat, which is a massive source of stress and like very clearly a sign of his. I don't know. I'm not get, we're not going to diagnose mental illnesses on this podcast. That's for my side podcast. Come join me on that one. We're just we're calling everything what, what, OCD. What's that uh, podcast called, Rich? Uh, <laughs> it's just called Ah. Uh. You can wait. find it. It's A with five H's behind it. Can, can I can I have a second to think, and we can cut me back into into this, like <laughs> so I can sound clever? Yes, I got a I got a plot keep... question. Yeah, go for it. I got Max. a plot question for you boys. You ever uh you ever find yourselves flirting with a lady <laughs> and you invite her over for lunch and you tell her that you picked up Indian food and then you follow that up and let her know that curry is a laxative? <laughs> All right, so I actually Almost wanted to talk about this because I think there is no greater sign of trust in a relationship than when you talk about bowel movements with your partner. But you have to get have into to a relationship first before you can talk about bowel movements it's a really strong overly like heavy-fisted opening move by leonard but like i appreciate the game i just think it wasn't the right move with a from a with a small girl from uh what was it omaha nebraska uh you know like that's just a little bit too much i do know a great gi doc in pasadena if leonard needs a recommendation I'm oh, just, that's awesome! What what a what a perfect thing to have in your Jewish Rolodex. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we have the bare naked ladies intro, which you know I think everyone, even if you've never seen an episode of Big Bang Theory, I think you know the lyrics to that song. 
if you hear it, just go off. Um, I do not want to get a copyright strike. So I'm just going to say. <laughs> yeah. That- I, I, I wonder how long the show would go on for if they didn't have a pretty dope. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a banger of a theme yeah, song. No, I would it's say good. It, I, I would really They're say like, bad. I like yeah, bare naked bare, ladies, bare naked ladies, but Canada, great. you like, know what you did. Bare naked ladies. If you're listening because you, your name popped up because of our podcast, because I'm putting it in the metadata. Guess what? Big fans of you. You can be on the pod. Friends of the pod. Come on the podcast. Do you think they made more money and royalties from the Big Bang Theory or one week? Ooh, that's a really solid question Mm. that I wish I knew the answer for. Wow. (laughs) I'm now I'm genuinely curious what that what that situation is like. Um, Yes, man. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So the. What do you, what have you or what do you guys like to do for fun? Well, today we tried masturbating for money. <laughs> Absolutely a banger of a cold open or of a, great, of a title sequence. I have that written down. It's a great joke. And it is a it, good joke. It's a good setup. It, but like, what I'm curious about is Max. If they didn't show that first scene in syndication, what the hell happens with that joke? They cut the button for continuity, which is no! such a, it's it's so dumb. It's the best joke in the entire pilot, I think. Yeah. And they cut they cut it to have continuity with like shortening it by taking out that first part of the cold open. So I it's guess e- the syndicated version just starts with them going up the stairs. It's even funnier though, if they just say that without the first scene, because then you are left to have the like left to the device of your own imagination and imagining like Wait, I want to see Jim uh, Parsons and Johnny Galecki in a sperm bank talking as their characters. Spoiler alert, you don't. But like still, like it I that feels like a mistake. So let's go. We get this sick ass intro by the bare naked ladies. So let's go to the <laughs> dick swinging contest of this episode, which is we. the whiteboards. Um which we then this is really where I think the show tries to do some form of exposition in just showing how smart these two gentlemen are, right? Yeah. We see what Jim or what Jim Parsons, Jim Parsons is just Sheldon. So we see what Jim Parsons has written down. Uh, and this was actually interesting because I forgot in the pilot, it almost appears that like, if you've seen more than just one episode of this show, at many points throughout the show, they almost make Sheldon seem asexual, right? Not interested in sex um, at certain points and all of that. But in this episode, they sort of show him flirting with Penny, you know, and like trying to show off as well. Uh, but then minutes later, just absolutely have no having no interest in her. Meanwhile, um, you know, Leonard, uh, for those who do not know, Johnny Galecki and Kaylee Cuoco dated for many, many years. Um, Wait, and, like in real life? Yes, yeah, because really? of this show. Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> wow. Uh, so, like, you almost get that idea of, like, oh, yeah, they're he's really interested in really, really flirting with her uh, with his less impressive board um, in this dick measuring contest of sorts. You know, I don't think that Sheldon showing off the board, though, to flirt. I think he's just showing off i think he's just the kind of person like like you have the friend who just name drops when i went to college like right off the bat right away i think that's just <laughs> a sheldon thing where he's just trying to impress it's not impress in like a wanting to date or be partners way i think he's just trying to 
show off, which is why Leonard then like rebuttaling in is like kind of, I guess the joke is like, he's clearly doing it to try and impress Penny. You know what? I just found a Getty image of him. Uh, I, I, I get it. He, he he's, he, <laughs> you know, he also does kind of have like a bit of a pickup artist vibe in that photo. So I don't, I don't know what's happening. I think he was playing himself on Entourage at this point as well, where yes, he's playing he was like a playing real like on... asshole version of himself. Yes, and Wait, it's a great. What? Yeah. Oh, highly recommend uh, Johnny Galecki's like run on Entourage is fantastic because Ari Gold is his agent. It's magnificent because he wow. was just the kid from Roseanne. But oh my god, we... what? Yeah, hundred percent. He was also in uh, Christmas Vacation. So, like, the more you know, Johnny Galecki has a storied career. So Johnny Galecki lived in the greater extended Roseanne universe. (laughs) If we're (laughs) we're going off of Chuck Lorre projects for quite a long time. Impressive. Um, So, Rich, we get your favorite, one of your favorite jokes about where Sheldon sits. Um, And this is actually... I'm not going to go with favorite is wildly generous. You went on your monologue about how this was a great joke. It's a runner. <laughs> it's a runner. <laughs> okay, but, it, that this is what this is what bad shows do. They have a little bit of an inside joke to try to keep you in the club. This is where I want to give Jim Parsons credit though. Because I think that Jim Parsons as we've talked about before is a actor who is traditionally trained in the theater, right? And is just a very talented actor in all of the different things he's done. I've never been like, oh, wow, Jim Parsons really sucked in this. It's always, I take it away and I'm like, oh, wow, Jim Parsons is just extremely talented at what he does. I don't think Sheldon works if you do not have the acting prowess of Jim Parsons in this. I don't think this pilot works if you don't have Jim Parsons. Okay. Piggybacking off of that, though. Chuck Lorre in interviews has said that this scene, the the spot scene in the pilot, is his favorite part of the entire series. That this scene is his favorite moment in the show's like 15-ish year run. And he says that because it establishes the worldview of Sheldon without any actual jokes in it. And to him, watching it being filmed was the moment where he felt like they had like the tone and the pacing coming together. I don't know if the rant itself is the funniest part, but if I were sitting in a live studio audience, if we think about multicam as almost like performing for a theater audience, Mm -hmm. that Jim Parsons struggling to make his way through the space and trying to figure out where to go. If I'm sitting close to that in person live, I could see it being humorous. And I almost don't know if the joke translates the same to film as it would if you were watching it actually happen. My favorite part of that point is the uh, I could conf- I could almost consider it humorous it is a the biggest oh man what a like c-span congressional uh, congressional hearing way to say that's funny <laughs> like this is such a such a massive drop-off from that's funny to I could consider that humorous <laughs> it's like a New Yorker cartoon so there are some this scene is really used as a plot device for us to get to know Penny and get to understand the background and the difference between Penny and these two uh physicists, right? Penny is from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh she is a waitress at the Cheesecake Factory. Uh she has questionable definitions about what vegetarians are and what it means to be a vegetarian. Um there were a couple jokes in here and this is where I sort of was like 
they're being almost too smart for the audience that's intended, right? Like there was a joke in here where Penny was talking about her relationship with her ex and how they were together for four years. Um, and she was like, that's just about as much time as you're in high school. To which Leonard says, "You, it took you four years to go through high school. I have a small rewrite of that joke that I think would be really, really fucking funny. If oh, we can't, Penny's... we can't do rewrites right now. We can't do rewrites right now. There's a strike. We can't do rewrites right now. <laughs> oh, no. Scab, scab, I... scab. <laughs> I will just say, if Penny said five or six years for high school, that would have been a really funny joke for the entire audience, and not just me sitting there for twenty seconds being like, "Oh, it's because they're they're smart." Oh. Great, great joke. Uh, congrats, Chuck Lorre. <laughs> There's a lot of real surface jokes in this scene, though. That one, uh, you mentioned Petty's definition of being a vegetarian, where she's like, except for fish and the occasional steak, and then she gives like a real guttural, I love steak. <laughs> I love steak. <laughs> this is, man, this is extremely, uh, I could consider this humorous. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping, I'm keeping this. I'm actually writing this down as a note so I can remember to keep saying this when jokes are bad. So um, to just make a beautiful person say something in a really ugly voice for laugh effects. Yeah, it's it's very me likey food from uh, <laughs> from Thirty Rock. <laughs> so I do have a question for you, gentlemen, and this is an ethics question. If you needed to take a shower, and someone, your neighbor, offers you their shower, would you a go back to your dwelling? get a towel and your toiletries and then return or B just go into the bathroom and grab a towel that's randomly there and just start showering. Yeah, dude, no prep time. I'm going, I'm going clean in there. <laughs> You're just going in. I, <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I mean, that is, I have to be a upsetting level of stank to do something like that i have to it has to be an emergency shower something toxic needs to be on me i i will say and one thing i forgot to mention um spoiler alert for everyone who's listening the daddy of the week this week is marketing dollars uh because there are <laughs> just cheesecake just as a concept <laughs> yeah cheesecake factory getting name recognition they absolutely paid for the idea of the cheesecake factory being uh dropped there the also, other one is we go into the shower and there is Garnier uh, products everywhere in the shower. Everywhere you looked, there was a different Garnier product. So, yes, this show also has the daddy of marketing just I, everywhere, all above it. Everybody knows the hot babes and un insufferable nerds use Garnier. And that's how you know it's for real. I, I have a problem, though. I, I didn't find this scene believable because I've never been in an apartment that two or more single men live in that has more than one towel per person. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, factual. We, we do meet our two other major characters, though, uh, in this scene. And I we talked a little bit about them. Uh, Howard Wolowitz, as well as uh, Raj Kuthrapali. Um, who are just are bumbling idiots in another sense of the word, right? They're also uh, work at California Institute 
of uh, technology. Congratulations to them. They're very smart. Um, but, but we get this like... I work at Caltech. Yeah, congrats. I'm really proud of you, Max. That's Thank a, you. That's a big development. Yeah. Um, but as far as they go, we get like different shades of dork, right? <laughs> Howard is um, this really like outgoing dork uh, who really thinks he has game. And Arguably Rich, the worst kind of dork. Rich, you mentioned uh, the idea of uh, Johnny Galecki looking like he like, is like a one pickup of those, artist, a pickup artist. And Howard definitely has a few books. Yeah, uh, he definitely has the game. In this a dude's read the game. <laughs> a maybe two or three times. And then what do we think about Raj not being able to speak to women directly? He, I will, I will also say Wallowitz basically has like a Pepe Le Pew type strategy for wooing women. <laughs> Max, what are your thoughts about these two characters we just met? So because it sounds like we're just going to dump on Howard the entire episode, I do need to give a shout out to the actor Simon Helberg for having a very strong 2007 year. He paired the pilot of the Big Bang Theory while also playing the character of Dreidel Lahayam in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox oh, story. Absolutely. Just an iconic 2007 year for Simon Helberg. Let, let me just say this. This is, I, uh, this is Jurassic Park and uh, what was the other? It was this is Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same year for Spielberg. <laughs> I, I do want to say this about Simon Helberg because while I think that the, cower, the character of Howard is gross, I think that Simon Helberg is probably my second favorite performance in this entire pilot. Like there's, there are jokes that are said by Simon Helberg being the type of comedian he is. He's very much physical actor. Um, he does the Steve, the really tasteless Stephen Hawking's uh, impression. Oh, yeah. that That is just like, Yes, it is not appropriate, but there's stuff that he's able to do because he does have impressionist as a background that does allow for his character to be a little bit funnier and add something where I was just like, okay, like I, I'm enjoying Howard. I hate him, but I can still enjoy his character. Insane behavior. What were we going to say, Max? Oh, I got nothing. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so... Let's talk about the idea of there's one other thing that happens here. If you're a single man, none of us are single on this podcast. I'm sorry to our listeners, but how do oh, you talk about hey, the potential? I was creating a mystique. I was creating a mystique. <laughs> I want people to follow because they wanna they wanna date my voice. I want that. <laughs> we, we don't need you to follow though. We don't we don't need you to follow. No. Just negging. Am I negging? <laughs> yeah, I think that's how that works. Um what I was going to ask, and Max, this is probably a really good question for you. How do you talk about single woman as a single man? Because I have no idea. And using the word coitus repeatedly seems like a really odd move as a whole. Oh, God. It's like someone who only learned sex ed from anatomy the teacher textbooks. in Connecticut? Yeah, <laughs> just like, Andy? God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's like I, describing how like trilobites mate. <laughs> but I, but I think the choices that they make in dialogue, it's like they're they're over the top word choices because it just plays into the humor. Because this this pilot is so simple. I mean, we we've said this a few times, but it's like there's 
there's like an A plot and a B plot, and both of them involve the same two people. Like it's and the B plot, we're gonna get to it. Is one scene, and that's it. It's it's one of the smallest I, B plots we've ever. I'm dealt telling with. you, this is the least we. This is the least that's ever happened in a pilot that we've covered, and we did Night Court. <laughs> it was like literally nothing has happened this entire time. It is the same joke of these extremely successful nerds can't talk to women. So we get our shower scene, right? Which also just absolutely wild. You met this person less than an hour ago and you are fully naked in a shower asking them for a favor. Uh, I'm a hundred percent sure this scene was thrown in just because Garnier was like, we'll give you this money if you show our products and they were the executives at CBS were like, "How do we do it?" Oh, Kaylee Cuoco in a shower sold. Yeah, that uh, would... but we get our B plot, which is Kaylee's or uh, Penny's boyfriend, uh, who seems like a swell guy, uh, still has her TV, uh, and she has asked for. I don't know why Leonard brought Sheldon. That was not made clear to me at any Because they established that they can't carry a TV by themselves. Get it? They're nerds. They're weak. <laughs> also, TVs are big sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> it so, was 2007. I don't think we all had flat screens yet. It could very well be a rear projection unit. That's true. So let's just really grace over this idea of the boyfriend scene, right? The boys have trouble getting into the apartment. Big funny is Girl Scouts get into the apartment building. That's that's really funny. I'm going to nerd out on the nerds in that uh, the boyfriend is played by Brian Patrick Wade, uh, who is Absorbing Man in the Marvel Universe. Uh, thank you. Good night. That, um, that really <laughs> did seem like a character because we you get so many random like cameos of people who became something larger in some of these pilots. I was really hoping it would be someone be someone more than absorbing man i'm so sorry i have no idea what that is because that <laughs> sounds like that sounds like a the cartoon version i'm sorry the marvel version of spongebob that sounds like what the name <laughs> <laughs> brian let me hear me out live action spongebob you're spongebob it's gritty it's a, it's I, a reboot. I gotta give a shout out here to the scene at the doorway where they they make Penny's boyfriend film from higher up, and they have an angle looking down on Leonard Sheldon to establish that he's bigger than them. That's a Jimmy Effin Burroughs classic right there. Ooh. That's some fancy camera work. I, I have questions for Jimmy, though. Why did the boyfriend take the pants? That just seems like a really odd move hey, when baby. you're older than, like, 16. He didn't write the script. He just said, roll cameras. <laughs> <laughs> I love, um, before we move on, before I forget, I love in multicam shows, and this is why everyone should watch the show, when they put characters in a car in a multicam and there's just like clearly a projection behind them. This is the most piloty ass shot in this entire pilot. They do that so much on Seinfeld. I'm just wondering how, like, it, it had to look like garbage with the studio audience there. It had to. Yeah, I I mean, my dumb brain was looking at those shots and was like, is that actual B-roll footage of Pasadena? I'll never know. I have questions about it. Uh, having visited there once, maybe. Um, so... Max, by the, by the way, I did look up what 
uh, what Cheesecake Factory she likely worked at. And we can go. It's an old town. Let's do it. Do you want to go for some for some episode <laughs> research? Yeah, we'll take photos. There actually is in Pasadena. There's a there's a street sign that goes down an alleyway because it's not yeah, a real street, but it says Big Bang Theory Way. Oh my god, we so, we need to move TV production elsewhere. Let's start ruining. I guess we'll start ruining Atlanta with it. Oh god. Um. So we end. There's. There's one joke I'd like to talk about before the end, because I thought this was actually a really good nerd joke. And it was Howard going through World of Warcraft with his character, trying to talk Penny basically into going in on a date with him. Um, I did have to look up what video game that was, because I had no idea when they were showing it on the screen. I was just about um, so, to ask you if you played it, and that's why you like the joke. Oh, 100% no. 100% no. Do I watch D&D uh, series? Yes. Do I have any idea what World of Warcraft is? No. Um, that That's it. But, you know, we end this show with Penny being thankful. Leonard gets a hug. He's stuck on Penny. And then we get our final scene where they're driving in a car, and we see that Sheldon has a very good point that you can't do two curry-based meals in the same day. Sheldon, I couldn't agree more. That is uh, really a lot for the system. There isn't a really important audience moment in this particular scene. Uh, almost as important as like the continuing running jokes because that's that's how you get that's how you hook people in. That's the inside joke. That's the that's the Costco card. That's how you keep people uh, in the club. There is a moment where both Leonard and Penny break in this scene. And then I think that is really important to the audience because it lets you know that they're having fun. And it's not... I did not notice that. Oh, you didn't notice that? Yeah. Probably because I was so upset. <laughs> Sheldon, Sheldon makes Leonard break a little when he's when he's delivering his lines. Penny breaks a little when Wallowitz is like listing a bunch of, or when, when Wallowitz is singing. And I, I think what that does is it just kind of takes the veil of the show away. And all of a sudden you're watching basically a stage performance. And I think that's super important to the continuation of the show. And I, I can't think of any show, any other multicams that do this, except for maybe, I feel like Gary Shandling, the It's the Gary Shandling show, um, does this a little bit. But, I mean, talk about an audience builder. That is that is really breaking the fourth wall. As far as character arcs go for a pilot, too, I think that Sheldon's final line to Leonard is actually pretty important for your pilot script, in which he says that you're a Mac Daddy compared to everyone else in this car. <laughs> and Leonard kind of smiles and yeah. they fade off of that moment. Because I think it shows that... Uh, you know, if, if Leonard's whole thing is that he wants to branch out and learn more from this, you know, strangers coming to his life, that maybe he's on the right track to something. And I think it, it sets up that this is your lead. We're seeing growth of them throughout this pilot, and they are changed than when we first saw them on page one. Yeah, definitely. No, I think that's that's a fair point. Well, that is the end of this pilot. Um, let's talk a little bit about things we loved that we didn't discuss. Um, Max, Rich, anything that we didn't discuss that, uh, were things that you loved about this pilot? I love that I looked up and it was already over. 
Uh, <laughs> it's so it's so fast. Like you, I think that's one of the benefits of covering almost nothing. It feels like a mid-season, like it feels like a mid, like ninth season episode where it's just like, all right, there people are going to come back and watch these five characters do X, Y, Z, and then they're out. You know, this is this is very like suitable for syndication. This is something to watch while folding laundry. Max, what about I, you? I'm never going to be mad about an extended pantsless walk and talk. I think that's always a funny device to throw into your episodes. And that's my favorite I part of the X Files. Give it credit that this doesn't sound like any sitcoms we've covered so far. There's a very unique rhythm and tone to the way the dialogue goes, particularly with Sheldon Cooper, and it's it's unique in that way. And I could see how it almost kind of hypnotizes you in. There's like a psyop thing going on. You don't mean to watch it and laugh, but you just get drawn in by the rhythm of his vocals. CBS is MK Ultra. Oh my God. Um, as far as myself of uh, things we loved, um, what I will say, and I will give uh, Jim Parsons his credit. Jim Parsons, I think, really carried this pilot for all it's worth um and you know he was rightfully given nominations and awards we'll talk about that in a little bit uh but before we do so any wait a minute moments that we did not discuss yeah all i can there's think an about alzheimer's the joke in yes. the in the middle of act two that Again, just felt like a very weird thing to do in your first episode. They make a reference to when's the last time you've had a naked woman in the apartment and Leonard says, you remember the when his grandma had an Alzheimer's episode at Thanksgiving. It's just, I don't, I don't know. I know that like times change and jokes change, but it's just, these are weird blunt jokes to put into a pilot episode. And it feel, cause yeah, Chuck Lorre was like 53. He's like 70 now. He was like 53 when this episode came out on tv like these weren't spring chicken writers these were people who have been doing this for decades already and yeah. despite us thinking about the big bang theory as a young popular show it's written by people who are kind of like grizzled writers room veterans and i think a lot of the jokes reflect that in this episode that we're gonna give uh, a karama donkwa project shout out right now but if you guys watch the show reboot um a big plot line of the writer's room in reboot is all of the old writers for the show mixing with like three like young comedy writers who are basically gen z millennial cusp kind of age and this 100 percent feels like that like i have i i'm positive that they eventually did an infusion of younger writers at some point which probably helped the show shape up a bit but yeah i mean with for a, for a pilot that is so short and so quick moving, having the transvestite comment, the uh, some like homosexuality tendencies in there, the uh, obviously like um, the dementia moment that you just mentioned, it is, it feels like they're just trying to hit a couple things that's like that kind of snaps you out of the hypnotism that they that they put you in with some of the language that they're using, and yeah, it does feel it it feels old. It definitely feels old. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of wait a minute moments in this pilot. Um, I think we can say that. Uh, also the classism, I, the classism yeah. of Penny being an idiot. Cause she works at cheesecake factory. Cheesecake factory yeah, is great. Everyone go gross. to, 
this episode is brought to you by Cheesecake Factory. No, it is not. But <laughs> Cheesecake Factory, this episode can be brought to you by Cheesecake Factory uh, if you give us a call. Um, and uh, if you're listening, give us $10 so we can get a piece of cheesecake. Yeah. Hold- yeah no, that'd be great. This episode is brought to you by free bread that is brown. Yeah, give me uh, the brown bread. <laughs> yeah, I'll get the first bite, and then, Max, I'll ship it to you, and then you and Rich can share the rest. Uh, oh, the, the brotherhood of the traveling brown bread? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just love, and I, I will, uh, you know, show a little bit uh, behind the curtain for our audience. Max says, oh, dear Lord, who could Jeff possibly give Daddy of the Week to? It's marketing dollars. Cheesecake, give me some of that good cheesecake money. Uh, Friends of the pod, it. money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so our in-flight, we do have an in-flight question this week, gentlemen. Um, our in-flight question comes from uh, Mary Kate, who says, why do you think the Chuck Lorre formula, limited side characters, same joke structure, and material each episode is so successful? Mm. Um, and I'll actually kick us off because, Rich, I think you gave a very salient point on the idea that, you know what? America loves just a really shitty cheeseburger sometimes, like the Whopper or the Big Mac. And it is comforting. Burger can give us money. It is something we can go back to uh, again and again, know what is going to happen, know that we don't have to have any big brain thinking when we're watching something, and do laundry shows. We've replaced a lot of these types of Chuck Lorre shows with Netflix programs that only last for maybe a season or two, but it's very easy watching that you can just listen and get a few giggles, uh, maybe a smile from, and then be done with it. And do I think that there's still a place for this type of show, um, AKA Chuck Lorre continuing to work through his seventies? hundred percent because he still is. Uh, so Rich, I'm curious about what your thoughts are. Um, I, so I'm not a fan really of this show as a whole or, um, two and a half men and, you know, but also I think that's just a, it's just how I view CBS sitcoms as, as like its own entity. Wasn't he a huge fan of Raymond, but it was on, wasn't a huge fan of King of Queens, but it was on. And it is really like schlub dad like middle-aged guy or or woman humor and it is really you know i I talked a lot about like the costco club card of this um where you feel important by being a member and understanding like running jokes and i think what this show gives you an allowance of and i i can't remember i don't know what this factor would be in two and a half men what the show gives you an allowance of is I'm going to hear something very smart. I'm going to like this show pulls no punches for like the types of like the, the level of intelligent, like university dialogue that is used in this. In fact, I I know that at some point they even hired mathematicians for the show to make sure the equations Mm -hmm. on the whiteboards were actually correct on that. Yeah. Cool. Love that. You know, but I think, I think as someone who is younger than the target audience for this, I have tended toward things that kind of like surprise me with comedy rather than like hoping I get 
like one chuckle out of a show and you know this is not this is just not my target demo and i think uh or i'm not part of the target demo i should say i i just like i don't feel that this is something I, not being part of the right audience is not <laughs> not being i'm sorry this is so long not being part of the right audience is not a bad thing like not all shows are for me not all shows are meant to be for me and this show just isn't so i i you know people i'm sure love charlie sheen for him being insane and loved him having like the bob saget effect on two and a half men where he's a wild person in real life and then you get wholesome version on CBS. Sorry for talking for so long. Max, <laughs> how would you answer that question succinctly? <laughs> I think that shows like this are successful because there is a formula to them that's been seen in sitcoms for decades. At its core, The Big Bang Theory is a show about a guy and his best friend, colleague, roommate, who live by a straight and narrow. They have a set of rules they follow. They do things the same way. They have a very uh, like regiment routine. And then one day, a variable gets thrown into that equation that causes our protagonist to wonder if there's more out there for him, while the best friend character tries to keep him to the path that he knows. And in this case, it's Penny making Leonard wonder if there is romance and life out there for him, while Sheldon wants to keep the comfort of their apartment and the life they lived for so long. That throwing a variable into someone's life is two and a half men. It is Frasier. It is Perfect Strangers. It is so many shows throughout yeah. sitcom history. And so I think when you watch a Chuck Lorre show, you know what the world is. You understand what we're going forward, the journey that these characters are going to go on. And then there's just a filter put over it, which in this case is the the nerd humor and the science jokes but the actual heart of this pilot is a real timeless sitcom framing yeah that, I think that's, that's super well put extremely well put and extremely succinct <laughs> uh, well i made this fucking show for an hour <laughs> all right so thank you for that in-flight question uh let's talk a little bit about legacy of this show um 12 seasons and 279 episodes. Um, Moving on. (laughs) Season six and seven. uh, The show actually topped out at 20 million viewers on average per episode. Uh, There were five different seasons that it was ranked number two in television. And then it's 11th season. It was ranked number one in television. Uh, It was syndicated all over the place internationally as well uh there is a spin-off show known as young sheldon that is still on the air oh fuck, uh, I forgot but there's about that. also and i a... will find him and i will kill him <laughs> young <laughs> sheldon also... if you're listening to this your days are numbered actually technically canonically they're not <laughs> so there is a uh, another spin-off that is currently being worked on as we speak um that was announced very adolescent recently. sheldon <laughs> Um, there is a ongoing lawsuit against the show currently right now. Okay. Um, something to do with Netflix. Uh, (laughs) Um, let's talk about nominations. Uh, there were 223 nominations, 55 wins, 
including 29 of those wins just being Jim Parsons off of 55 nominations. God damn. Um, this dude had to build an entire section of his house for Emmys. Kaylee Cuoco uh, got 30 noms and five awards. Johnny Galecki got 16 noms and six awards. And yes, they are a cradle to grave winner. Um, So congratulations to them. Is that our Um, first? That is one of like, I think a couple, but wow. Congratulations to them. Uh, For for the new listeners. What is a cradle to grave? A cradle to grave includes you have to be a kid. Then you have to be a teen and then you're a people. Uh, and, and, and then win. and then lifetime achievement. Yeah, and then lifetime achievement somewhere. It doesn't along hurt the way. if you're a critic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I will say is, yeah, of course, there's DVDs for this thing. But it you you have to take a step back, even not watching this pilot, and independently say, "Holy shit, this show was a behemoth." Um, Rich, with that being said, what is your game of the week? Oh, uh, well, uh, excellent work on the legacy. Uh, I think we all hate ourselves for this because so many great comedy shows came out during the run of this and they all had to lose to Big Bang Theory. So how fun is that? Anywho, moving on. All right. So obviously we talked about a lot of nerdy shit today. Um, a lot of quantum mechanics and not talking to women. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about some fun nerdy shit. Uh, this, are you guys familiar with the Ig Nobel Prize? All right. So the Nobel Prize, no, obviously, for is the, for achievements for in science. Uh, yes. Oh, for- yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vocalize what I'm doing for the people listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> the Ig Nobel, Nobel Prize is a satiric and scientific merit prize for the unusual or trivial achievements in science that cannot or should not be reproduced, quote unquote. The award ceremony is held at Harvard, and they are actually presented by real Nobel laureates. So just so you know how harsh these Ig Nobel Prizes go, um, the 1992 Ig Nobel Prize for Peace was given to the chief of police in Los Angeles. Uh, as you know, what happened in 1992 in Los Angeles, the Rodney King riots, uh, it, it was given to the 1992 L.A. Chief of Police for his uniquely compelling method of bringing people together. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Oh, my God. Okay. They, this is our game of the week? <laughs> yes, they get, they are, they are harsh, but also can be fun. Um, all right. So I'm going to do uh, Max Jeff, Max Jeff on, on these. Uh, I have compiled four uh, winners of the Ig Nobel Prize. There are 10 categories every year. Um, but I want to ask, okay, Max, the first ever ignoble prize in nutrition went to what preserved food? This one's open-ended. Okay. The first ever ignoble prize for what preserved food? Oh, geez. Um, can I I guess (laughs) (laughs) there's no helping. Wait, what year did these start? Uh, 1990. Okay. Um, Oh God! Uh, uh, I I got nothing. Is it spam? It went to spam. Uh, Jeff, I didn't give oh, you this one because yeah. I didn't give you this one because you live in Minnesota. Uh, yep. Jeff, the Ig Nobel Prize for Literature in 1994 went to what prolific prolific writing lunatic? 
uh, the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, L. Ron Hubbard, or Rush Limbaugh? Oh, it feels unfair that I get uh, I get multiple choice. Oh, the rest of, the rest of these are multiple choice. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so it was the Unabomber, Rush Limbaugh, and L. Ron uh, Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard. Um, I am going to say. Let, let's go with uh, you know, good old Rush. Rush seems like a great choice. <laughs> it was L. Ron Hubbard for Dianetics. All right. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So these are things that happened in that year? They eventually became that way. Um, they eventually became, like, of the time. but Because I'm the... sitting here bewildered thinking that Spam is only 33 oh, I, years old. I lost Max on this. It's okay. He, just let him. He It catches up. Just let him go. Let him cook. All right. <laughs> let, 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 let the man cook. All right. Let him Max, sizzle what pork did you say? And... Just repeat it. Well, I I was sitting here bewildered, thinking that Spam was only like thirty years old. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I actually don't know when it's it came a out. lot older okay. than that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. All right, Rich, go for it. All right. The nineteen ninety. This one's for Max. The nineteen ninety Ignoble Prize for Peace went to a duo of inventors that made the blaster, a foot pedaled what to prevent carjacking. A bubble cannon, B air horn, C flamethrower. Oh man, I hope it's flamethrower. It's flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. always gonna guess flamethrower. <laughs> uh, this one I think is my favorite of the three, but uh, the I'm sorry of the four. Uh, Jeff, the last question goes to you. The 2003 prize in economics went to the nation of Liechtenstein for A making every single parking uh, spot metered in the entire country. B, allowing the whole country to be rented for parties and bar mitzvahs. Or C, mandating that uh, regional cheese be on the menu for every restaurant. I hope it's regional cheese. I really do. (laughs) That that just sounds great. Um, The entire country of Liechtenstein can be rented for parties and bar mitzvahs, including a deal with Airbnb that allowed the enti- that allowed the entire country to be rented for only seventy thousand dollars a day. The entire oh, country. Man. I know what we, we're doing with our ad revenue. We, we need to get a we need to get a Patreon. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the the Nation of Liechtenstein. Well, Rich, thank you for that game of the week. As we wrap up this podcast that we somehow have been talking about Big Bang Theory for over an hour. Uh, two simple impressive. questions. Two simple questions for each of you. Um, one, do you think that there's ever going to need to be a time where this show needs to be remade? Nope. And should it? And two, um, would you that for continue all watching this show based off of the pilot? Nope. Rich. <laughs> It, all right, Max. What about you? I love how Jimmy Burroughs made two different pilots for the show and then never directed another episode again. Even he was like, "Eh, get me away from it." Um, Jimmy Burroughs is normally a one and done now. They they've made two pilots, and Jimmy Burroughs is still alive, so I assume they're just going to keep making more pilots. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, no, I I think that as long as there is money to be made, they will keep milking this franchise because it doesn't seem to be slowing down in terms of its cultural cachet. I also think that just the framing of it is simple enough. Like I explained earlier, I think that these types of shows will continue to go out there. Am I going to keep watching it? No, no, I, I, this is not 
This is not for me. And if it is for you, I'm very happy for you. But I will find something else to watch. Cut it out. How was bad that CBS? So... Bad, bad. How was that so condescending yet so nice for Max at the same time? Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, um, keep watching Big Bang Theory. You absolutely. All right, so <laughs> you owe. So what I will say is that there are some actors who have been on this show who have not had as much success as other actors who have been on this show. And I could very easily see them being approached by a major network and being asked, hey, would you like to reboot Big Bang Theory? Here's a gigantic amount of money. Um, And if that happens and Jim Burroughs is still alive, then yes, I think this will be remade. Do I want it to be remade? No. Uh, Am I going to continue watching this? Absolutely fucking not. (laughs) I am done with this show. Uh, This show will be on TBS or something while I'm watching TBS, and maybe I'll keep it on the TV while I'm doing laundry and stepping away from the TV before I watch something I really care about. Uh, But if you enjoy this show, keep it up. You have so many episodes to watch. Uh, With that being said, as the plane is coming to a land, uh, and where can we find you, gentlemen? Max? You can find me doing a one-two lunch punch of Fun Ruckers and Cheesecake Factory in Pasadena. <laughs> you can find me on all things social media at Maxwell Singh, as well as original sketch comedy for myself and Rich over on TikTok at Dad Wagon Comedy. You can find Rich. me. You can find me rubbing Max's belly after he eats Fun Ruckers and then Cheesecake Factory uh, over at Damn That's Rich on Instagram. And you can find me. Uh whispering sweet nothings to my wife about the benefits of curries for the colon. <laughs> you really thought you were going to say sweet nothings to Max after he eats a fun record. <laughs> when, when he does the equivalent of Jewish suicide. <laughs> but if you're looking for me on social media, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at runjeffrun. You can find the TV Pilots License on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at TV Pilots License. If you have a question about our next episode or for our next episode uh, email us at tvpilotslicensegmail.com give us a call at 213-290-1713 we are going to be talking about succession uh, as it comes to an end and I know y'all are pumped about that make sure to watch out for our Instagram for some sneak previews as well as clips of the upcoming episodes and with the plane landed and the seatbelt sign off we look forward to flying the bright skies of the TV world with you again soon and until then bazinga wow we're finally going to be allowed to swear next week I'm so excited